June. No time to die, and little factory. This is staying in. This is going to be no use to anyone listening to this. But I feel like in a year's time, it may be useful to someone, so we should still do it. Are you with me? Okay. Well, before I say I'm with you, I need context. Because you've given me none so far. So I'm I'm hesitant to agree to something that you're putting forward without me knowing the context. When this comes out, it will be the 1st of November, right? So we would have missed... Hopefully. So so we would have missed uh, Halloween and, more importantly, missed the period in the UK where the clocks go back, okay? And we get an extra hour in bed. You are obsessed with this. Well... My my job is very clock focused, <laughs> and so I'm you know I am Sam obsessed. the clockmaker Turner, <laughs> um, a professional ornithologist. Um, no, not ornithologist. That's birds. Birds, isn't it? Hort- uh, it's haughty something. Hort- is it? Horology, Hort- Hort- horologist, no, horology, horologist. There we go. Yeah, Sam Turner, professional horologist. Right. Anyway, so. Um, yeah, because my work is very clock focused, it's drilled into us like we need an extra hour of output here, or don't worry, this hour's covered <laughs> by the clocks. <laughs> um, I was just thinking, how can we help people who may not know how to fill that extra hour? Do you just sleep? Do you do do you do something productive? Do you try and um, do some self-improvement, possibly. I mean, in front of me, I've got, thanks to Radio 4, uh, 14 things to do with an extra hour. And I'm going to see if you guys can guess um, some of these <laughs> some of these things <laughs> that are on there. So there's 14 things. Can you try and guess what someone on Radio 4 suggested they do um, with an extra hour? Now, is it, now Sam, without giving mm. any obvious hints Mm. is a lot of these answers are a lot of these answers predicated on the stereotypical radio Four listener um yeah uh, one of them does listen to the archers omnibus Uh, one of them does reference shakespeare and another one assumes that you own a bookshelf so yes probably (laughs) right um straight out the gate read the complete works of william shakespeare in an hour over you know an hour a day it's not like no it's... no Chris Chris do you not no no this is this is to fill the hour that you, oh sorry you, you sorry gave. in an hour sorry sorry read a play read a Shakespeare play correct read Shakespeare's snappiest play um so you could so you could read Comedy of Errors is the shortest so you should just be able to finish it within the hour reading all um, the parts in different voices yeah so you could so yeah so just to just to correct you Chris this is what you're going to do and the extra hour you get. When we go okay. to right. GMT, just one hour. Okay, just one hour. Daniel, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm basing this on the clue that there wasn't a clue that it involved a bookshelf. Mm. Um, and the only thing I can think of, and I can't imagine why someone wants to do this the next hour, would be to rearrange your bookshelf. Correct. Correct. Make make a rainbow. Why would you, why would you want to spend your extra hour just rearranging your bookshelf? I mean, <laughs> it says here: make a rainbow, group them together in colour blocks. Or simply separate your library into books you've read and those you still need to. Now, you joke, but actually I was genuinely thinking about doing this a couple of days ago. Arranging well, they, my books Chris, into colours. 
Hang on, hang on. The prospect of rearranging a bookshelf, I don't have a problem with that. Like we we rearrange bookshelves in the past by color scheme because it looks nicer on, on, as a, as a, an aesthetic. But when you've got an extra hour, why would you sit there and think, you know what I'm going to do? Rearrange that bookshelf. I've been meaning to do it for months. <laughs> um, right, I would go with something fitness related, Sam. So using that extra hour to perhaps. Uh, do something of a workout, say, yeah, for example, yeah. and, and then you say you can exercise this year. Get active is is number six. If you're a regular runner, a ten k probably takes about fifty to seventy minutes. So there you go. Um, I mean, I don't think it's gonna be on there, but I mean, just catch up on some sleep. I mean, coming from someone with a four year old and a one year old, that's all I think mm. about. So it, to be fair, sleep is number one. Oh, so. that's all right then. See. Bloody hell! <laughs> Bingo, bang! Damning indictment to the Radio Four listenership. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, but the the problem the problem that you and I share, Dan, is that maybe with um, maybe with your eldest, it's not so much of an issue. It's also making them aware that they need to sleep for the extra hour. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Oh no. I don't. I didn't think this. <laughs> oh no. Do you know? Do you know what I would Dougie, do? The... Hey, Dougie can only placate them for so long. <laughs> do you know what I would do the extra hour? I on, would Chris. use the extra hour to try something new like pick up a new hobby or a pastime and then if i don't like it i've not lost anything you know it's an extra hour but if i do enjoy it i can kind of carry on with that hobby as something perhaps regular in the future okay well maybe your extra hobby your new hobby could be number number seven on this list which is exfoliate the face an hour of exfoliation will help you shed your old skin cells bring newer healthier cells to the surface say hello to a healthy glow I don't know if that can be a hobby, but... There is a sense of like an annual rebirth then, isn't there? Yeah. Chris is... Where's Chris? Oh, he's exfoliating for an hour. He's shedding. Chris is busy. Chris... Hang on. Chris is busy... He's forming a chrysalis. A chrysalis! (laughs) Chris is regenerating in the bathroom. (laughs) And just for... In case listeners were wondering, I do wash my face more than once a year. Cool. So just, just, just keep thinking... Just keep there's some, mulling. There's some crackers on here. Oh, well, another clue there, Dan. Eat crackers. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever do that uh, that um, experiment where you have to try and eat like two kind of Jacob's crackers in two minutes? I've what? done that one and I've done the Kit Kat one. No, with the ja- the Jacob's crack like the um, water water biscuits, like you have with like with with cheese and crackers and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think it's two in two minutes, or maybe it's three in three minutes. It's basically impossible because it dries out your mouth kind of immediately I'll take that bet. <laughs> tell you what dan remind me about this and i'll send you video footage of me attempting this challenge yes i want it i mean it, it will like it will be like looking into the sandworm of june <laughs> I, I think it's three crackers in a minute do you think you could do that yeah okay three crackers in a minute okay i'll go into training now with my extra hour Yes, Dan. So it's been a bumper treat for me at the moment. I got to go to the cinema twice uh, since our last recording. Yeah, well, Sam came along as well. And uh, we very recently, it was actually just a couple of days ago, we went to see June. And Dan, Sam pulled off the ultimate grift. (laughs) Is it? Hang on. No, no, Dan, this was was incredible. So you remember Ocean's... I will be the judge of if it was grift worthy. So, so... Admittedly, Sam Sam did pay for the ticket, so already this is undermining the sense of this being a grift. But tradition, yeah. you know, traditionally when you go to the cinema, 
is that you pay for your tickets, you get them on a little stub of paper, and there's always somebody, you know, acting there as a as a kind of a kind of a security there, just checking that you are who you say you are, and you know you've you've actually paid for tickets here. Mm. Um, we we were all behind Sam because Sam marched off to get to the screen, get to the seats. We went to see June in the IMAX uh, cinema. And he basically just strode past the bloke. The bloke said, excuse me. And Sam had already gone up the escalator. And Sam no, returned and said, Sam, 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 come back, come back, come back. And he's like, no, no. He just he just shrugged. He just did this. He just shrugged his shoulders and said, well, sorry. And off he'd There wasn't a guy there. There wasn't a guy there. I thought, because we were going to see an IMAX showing, the IMAX, you know, they want to make you feel special for spending a bit of extra money. So it's like separated from the rest of the cinema. You got yeah. like screens one to six, screens seven to ten, and then an escalator which leads up to the IMAX. There wasn't a guy there, so I assumed there'd be someone at the top of the escalator, being yeah, the IMAX coat. bouncer, so people could go up the escalator, have the IMAX sort of, or oh, this is what it would be like, and then be sent back down. So I just strode up the escalator. Only for me to be heralded back <laughs> by he the just strutted his way up the escalator. No, you didn't come by back. The ticket guys, what can I do? I'm on the escalator going up to see June. Bye. <laughs> and the guy was like, "Ah, be fine." Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "Brilliant." Off I go. So yeah. And- so, so hang on, hang on. How was that a grift? Oh, because I found a loophole. Because you had bought a ticket. Yeah, no, but if I hadn't have bought a ticket. Yeah, if Sam hadn't but bought a did. ticket, he could have literally. Just, yeah, but it's 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 the if he he found it. You know, it was just pure confidence and pure charisma. I found. I think a we need to determine grift. what a grift means. It, no, uh, yeah, Cause, Chris, cause, Chris, cause going to the cinema without buying a ticket is not a grift; it's theft. <laughs> God, could, I mean, could, let's not let's make no bones about it. Oh my gosh! Well, it would be a grift if I, if I sold the idea, but. We've already given it away for free, so sorry, um, IMAX in Cheshire Oaks. But it, it was, <laughs> You're it about was, to get a lot of people confidently striding up your escalator. running your escalators. <laughs> and, but it was it was lovely to go to an IMAX. I haven't been to an IMAX cinema probably since Gravity, Dunkirk. I think. Or Oh, Dunkirk. Have you seen Dunkirk in IMAX? I definitely saw Dunkirk was definitely the last film I saw at IMAX. Yeah, it probably was the same for me then. Um, and uh, it was the perfect film to see it on. I must admit. Mm. So um, yeah. So you so, say yeah. So you so you went to see uh, Dune. Um, yeah. I've I've heard things about it. Um, I've never. I'm not that familiar with Frank Herbert's novels. I never saw the original um, adaptation or any of the adaptations actually, because there's there's been more than one. I have actually recently bought the books. I thought I wanted to I wanted to read it and then. Because I think from what I hear, the only thing I've heard about the film Dune, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, and I don't think this is necessarily a spoiler, although it might be a little bit of a spoiler. So if you're concerned about spoilers, maybe stop listening for about five seconds, because the spoiler is the fact that it basically is just an introduction. Well, it's it's very interesting. Like One of the first things Sam said to me when he walked out was, like, did the director, Denis Villeneuve, tell the producers that he was going to put on the title card Dune Part 1? Which is oh, on it's none of that's on none of the posters, but <laughs> it, but what's beautiful is it, it it it's there for about half a second on the screen, yeah, and you're just like, great. did you, you did you just see 
<laughs> yeah, you could just one. you could just imagine because it's on none of the posters. Like it's it's very well known that like this this is a film that he has set out to be told in two parts. But it's not it's not on end. That's like in terms of like marketing, it's been like stripped off all the posters. Yeah. It's just a well known thing that like this is the first part of hopefully a two part movie. So maybe that's where people are. When I say people, I'm talking about Twitter people, which is never the most reliable of people to listen to. Nah, man. Um, so maybe that's where that kind of uh, response is coming from. But just like my confidence of walking up the escalator, it's the confidence of a director to put part one on the opening first slate so you can just see all the execs from Lionsgate going, did he just... No, he's not. What? We... Denny? Denny? You can, you can just imagine just before it goes for printing, you're <laughs> yeah. like, just one last thing. <laughs> just one, one last, last change. Thing. Just... It's nothing important. I can imagine with the screening to the producers, he would have literally just what he would have done is he would have just as the, as he was showing the film to the producers and, and everything. I can imagine that when he sensed that the title card was about to appear, he'll like like throw a glass or something onto the floor so everyone would turn away and momently take their gaze off the screen. So it was always there. Yeah. But they just missed it. Anyway, to answer your question, Dan, the film yeah. covers probably just over the first half of the book. So it's okay definitely more wasn't the, the the book originally like a trilogy no it was always two parts yeah it's it i mean like so i i got into dune not through the books i've I'm, i must confess i've not read the books but i at university um i was introduced to the, the fantastic sci-fi miniseries that won several emmy awards which is phenomenal i also watched children of june is that the one with james mcavoy i uh, know james mcavoy was in children of june um the first one, I can't remember who plays Paul, but it's got William Hurt as his father. Yeah. Um, it's a great series. It really, really is. And for many people, Dune is just an unfilmable book, but there are so many fantasy epics out there that have been adapted that everyone's called unfilmable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lord of the Rings being ob- an obvious one in that regard. Um, so this is this is basically set at some point in the, the future, and at the centre of the, the entire story is this desert planet, Arrakis, which um, has this extremely valuable resource called spice, and it's it's basically the great MacGuffin or the great fuel for this entire empire, made up of all these different houses. Um, really, a kind of thinking of almost like the Game of Thrones kinds of houses, but on a much much grander cosmic scale, um, essentially. And for about eighty years or so, one house has ruled this planet, and then they're told by the emperor to pass that on to somebody else. And it's this house, House Atreides, now coming to Arrakis. And they realise they've entered this spider's web of all these kind of political machinations. And it's a hostile environment that has this most incredible mythos attached to it as well. And Paul has been getting these dreams, recurring dreams about the planet that he's never visited. And this mysterious female that he sees there, who's part of the, the indigenous species of this planet. And it's about him coming to terms with what are these dreams and whether they're destiny, you know, part of a destiny of some sort. And it's about the various different factions fighting for this incredible resource and the kind of engaging with the myths and mythos of this people who have lived here for thousands of years um, with the spice. It's part of their livelihood. It's their blood. And they've watched their planet get mined away and them kind of maligned and pushed to the side. But also the iconic thing the sandworms and little things as well that Denis Villeneuve does really, really well in terms of that mythos, which are very difficult often to capture in film, um, are what make this interesting for me. The little things like you have to walk across the sand in a particular way. You can't walk in a rhythmic fashion because that attracts the worms. 
and how he manages to let these little tidbits of information about the mythos of the mm. planets and the various different houses, how he lets that trickle through, is really exemplary, really. And I really, really enjoyed this. It kind of, it, I, it was really interesting watching this in juxtaposition with the, the next film we'll probably talk about today. Was this is a much shorter film, and it mm. it didn't feel long or bloated. It's not a fast roller coaster ride of a film, and it's not trying to be a blockbuster, even though it's got a blockbuster budget. And it's tackling a subject matter, a source book, which you could imagine in a different director's hands would be a gigantic action fest. This is a very, very cerebral, um, mature adaptation of this work, um, really. And um, it just made me want to read the books and just immerse myself in its mythos, really. Yeah, you see, Dan, I would not read the book before going into this. Because I did, and I think my experience was poorer for the, for it. Um, but I, I'm not going to see Dune for some time. So I, I still wouldn't. And, and I'm only going to see it on a small screen, so I'm not going to get some of the spectacle that you will. No, I mean, it is the, the IMAX was a treat. Like, no word of a lie, we went to go and see it two or three days ago, and this is the first time I'm hearing what Chris thought of the film, because our... I don't know how you felt, Chris, but my senses were so, especially seeing it at IMAX, I just felt like it was just such a nice attack, but an attack nonetheless on my senses for like two and three quarters hours. When we came out of the cinema, we were all just kind of like, okay, see you later. <laughs> just like I couldn't, the yeah. thought of like interacting or speaking or talking was just like, I just I just needed a break yeah from from engaging my senses and it's bizarre because it's not like it's hitting you over the head with stuff but you've just got these incredible vast spectacles of just this desert yeah. and it's just so beautifully shot and with Hans Zimmer's music yeah this is what I was going on to say because Denis Villeneuve apparently told Hans Zimmer that uh, he didn't want a narrator for this film so unlike something like Lord of the Rings which kind of like gently eases you in with a bit of narration setting the scene the context for the whole thing putting everything into um like helping like on board um the audience into like what the ring is and why it's powerful and kind of what's happening there is no narrator there is no one who sits down right at the start and goes right this is spice this is arrakis these are the harkonnens this is paul atreides and he can say things and make you do stuff ah this is a gom jabbar this is a chris knife like there's none of that at all throughout the movie so he said to Denis Villeneuve the director said Hans Zimmer is you're the you're the narrator yeah you the, the music provides the narration and gives cue and basically provides cues to let the audience know that this is happening because of this and this is like a story that if you if I was sitting down adapting it the easy thing to do is just like oh just whack a bit of narration there yeah, yeah we'll big explain title that card. With a bit of narration yeah. a bit of a title card and then and then roll away but you are never told at any point what things are, the sort of the significance of, 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 of certain actions and certain houses. You're just left to sort of pick stuff up from within this world. And that's why I felt shortchanged having read the books, because I knew what the kind of the, the history of things is. I knew what a Chris knife was. I knew not I knew what a Gom Jabbar was. I knew, you know, um, what the the sort of the the plot revelations were going to be. I knew, you know, who was going to backstab who and for why and all this kind of stuff. And so I viewed the film from that point of view of of basically 
of a way of how are they going to do this functionally? How how are they functionally going to present this movie? Oh, that's how they've done it. Oh, that's clever. How are they going to do this scene? Oh, that's how they've done it. Rather than just like enjoying this for enjoying this story. And the story is incredible. I'm not a big fan of the book, uh, but the story within the book is actually, you know, really is incredible. So I feel like I really want to watch it a second time because I feel like I just need to enjoy it for the actual story it is rather than trying to assess it on how good an adaptation it is, which is one of the reasons why I think I was so blown away by Lord of the Rings when I saw that for the first time, because I'd never engaged with the property. So for me, it was like just seeing this thing for this incredible story for the first time. And I genuinely believe that Dune, for this generation, is going to be their Lord of the Rings. I think it's going to be, hopefully, fingers crossed, I think it's going to be that kind of epic, you know, adaptation of something that's so well known that will that will have echoes on throughout its you know this 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 um this duology that's going to happen it's going to be i think it is going to have as much an impact as the lord of the rings films did yeah you're absolutely right it does feel like that there's so much love and detail and care and attention gone into this the director loves the source material Hans zimmer turned down working with christopher nolan on tenet to do this film because he loves the books himself he built musical instruments just to create this kind of futuristic score so the, the instruments you're hearing in the score don't exist. They were built entirely for this to reflect the various different factions, but also that mixture of the Atreides household coming in with that of the Fremen tribe, who this yeah. is their world, um, essentially. And there's some fantastic, there's a fantastic cast here from across. The, it's just an astonishing cast, but it's the whole film is just so understated, uh, it's not trying to be big and bombastic and showy, even though it has got some incredibly epic set pieces. But, 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 I, but that's what I mean. Like, it's got this, like, wonderful... Like, the reason why I'm telling you don't read the book, Dan, is not just because I think you'll enjoy the movie more. It's just I think you just won't enjoy the book. Like, my biggest problem with the book is whenever it introduces something, it's just like, it's not... Paul never walks through a door. He walks through the, the Chrysler door. Oh, and, and Paul never puts on a T-shirt. He puts on the Rondel T-shirt of protection. And it's just like there's so, everything has a myth or everything has, a, has, a, um, has, a, has, has some sort of legend attached to it, which, um, which I, I think really just bogs down, just like weighs down the book. But over the years, since it was first released in like in the 1960s, has given so many of the fans like lots and lots of stuff to to sort of like really like lean into in depth. It's just like, what, why is this thing called this thing, and why and what is the the reason behind this thing, and like really delving into the text to enjoy it. But because it kind of just pushes that all to one side, the film has much more of a lightness and much more of a um, uh, is much more sort of like adept and flexible to kind of just move around it never feels like it has to explain anything or get bogged down in that it can just like move on and just trust the audience to know that either this will be explained in time or you just need to have faith in the director that you don't really need to know about you know what the Benny Gesserits are just yet mm. um, yeah I think I'd, I'd seen quite quite a lot of articles dedicated to basically here is a glossary of all the things that you kind of need because there are because uh, perhaps that was part of the when you're talking about kind of there is a lack of and i don't mean that's a negative but there is a lack of uh, hand-holding 
so to speak, in terms of this is this, this is this, as you say, no narration mm-hmm. or anything like that. So perhaps that is coming from a viewpoint of these are all kind of obscure, kind of almost avant-garde kind of names and titles and references in there um, that perhaps... But it was the same in Game of Thrones, right? It was, you know, before you started that series, you didn't know who the um, the Greyjoys were or the Starks. Um, and, like, to Game of Thrones credit, it did a lot of, like, very simple showing, not telling who these houses were. Now, by the end of watching Game of Thrones, Dan, you could tell me, like, like the Starks are a noble family and this is their emblem and they're, and they're defined by their like how steadfast they are and they're stubborn or oh, the Greyjoys are you know they're based on the sea and like there's the Targaryens and they're you know um linked to the dragons and they're very stubborn and stoic and x y and z and so Dune has that same approach in terms of like it doesn't feel there are a lot of things that like you need to understand who the Harkonnens are and the Atreides and who the Bene Gesserits are but it does there's a lot of sort of just filmic and like screenwriting and just as chris was saying just such great acting that you very easily understand like right these are the bad guys right this group of people have a an agenda which is separate to the main story going on right these are the good guys in inverted commas so there is there is yeah there is a lot of depth there and by the end of the film you've got a much better idea of like okay this is what's motivating the Harkonnens yeah. this is what's motivating the Bene Gesserits but just like in Game of Thrones there's just enough shorthand there for you to go right okay okay I'm 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 happy here I'm happy here what was that okay okay yeah I'm getting it I'm picking it up I'm there it's it's such a clever adaptation and it's so well shot that and it has so much faith in the audience to understand and to follow that it really helps it just carry on going at the pace it needs to. So, um, so you could carve a pumpkin, you could get some sleep, you could read uh, Comedy of Errors, exercise, exfoliate, um, organise a bookshelf, have a good soak, but there are still some more things you can do with your extra hour. I mean, it's too late now. Um, could could you bake a loaf of bread in an hour? Well, uh, number eight is bake an an unusual cake. An unusual so, cake. So not your typical when, Victoria sponge. Why not try something experimental? How about courgette, an orange? That sounds horrible. Oh, Dan's face there. That was like literally. I just saw <laughs> child Dan there. Yeah. <laughs> well, don't like it. No thanks. <laughs> um. Okay. Mm. Uh, well, actually, I've had my guess. You'll go, Daniel. Uh, I can't think of anything, so I'm looking around the room. Good. Uh, Have you got any um, albums in there, Dan? Uh, no, but you, you, you're walking me down a path, and I want it to be my own idea, so I'm going to say no to that answer, because I can guess right. where you're going with that. Uh, mm. I'm going to say do something boring but productive, like uh, like sort out your finances or something along those lines. Like something that you don't want to have Rob to a do, bank. but you get the extra time so you utilize it. <laughs> well, something you don't want to do. I'm not trying to sort of calculator, so. Well, kind of. There's learn a times table. Dedicate an hour to learning one of the trickier times tables and give the gray, gray cells a good workout. Oh. So there you go. Uh, so work with numbers. What about, 
What about listening to an album you haven't listened to in a while? Just plucking that out of thin air. <laughs> yeah, but but Chris, but Chris, maybe there's a specific album that lasts fifty-eight minutes and nineteen seconds. I don't know of any albums that last exactly fifty-eight minutes. They they kind of all do, don't they? To some degree, a lot of them do. Mm. Depends. Well, just to let you know that Queen's Greatest Hits has a running time of fifty-eight minutes and nineteen seconds. So. There you go. You could listen to that with your extra hour. Yeah, and have one minute and 41 seconds to reflect on it verbally with somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Um, there is something else you could do with an album of sorts, but it's not a, a listening album. Uh, oh. Uh, make a photo album. You could make, Daniel, number 13. When was the last time you printed hard copies of your digital photos? Um Order them online uh, and make a photo album. I mean, you you have to you've you've got the prep work there. It's not yeah. all been done because you've had to days earlier plan and do everything. Yes, absolutely, so absolutely. There, I think, on that absolutely. One. There is some, there is some prep to do there. But we've, I think we've really there's a, there's a couple of things. There's just I think there's only three things left of this list. So yeah, we'll we'll finish off the show with the final. Just just keep thinking. You're doing you're doing really well. You're doing really well with this extra. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Sam. I'm, I'm very impressed. Very impressed. So, we saw June. We did. But before June. Yeah, you had a two. You had a two-hander. What? What's? What was? What did you hold in the right hand of that? We saw a film which is even longer than June. Yeah, nearly three right? hours long. Yowzer. It's longer than June. Scored by Hans Zimmer. Um, well, I haven't been it? to the cinema in about. Actually, the last film I saw at the cinema was Endgame, so I'm fairly sure I haven't seen this one either. Wow. Blimey, Charlie. Um, this, I think, was delayed more times in June, I want to say. I don't know. Yeah, it's had about eight or nine trailers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we saw, Dan, the 25th Bond film in Ooh. the James Bond franchise. We saw No Time to Die. No Time to Die. Daniel Craig's Swan song. Daniel, the Daniel Craig Swan song. Part one. Where? <laughs> part what? Imagine if it just. Did he just. Did he just. Hang on. Hang on. Did Carrie Fukunaga just. What? Carrie. Carrie. Um, no, yeah. No time to die. I mean. I, I, I'm not going to say as much as, about this as I did June because all I need to say really is too long. It's pretty good. And Don't read the book uh, beforehand. <laughs> um Pierce Brosnan still remains my favorite Bond. Um Really? Yeah. Yeah, I just got a soft spot. Like that was when See, I was a I teenager. Was, I was sold on Daniel Craig like on Casino Royale. That was it. I was I was in on that. Casino Royale is my favorite Bond film, but Pierce Brosnan is my favorite Bond. I suppose it comes from what you look for in a Bond. Dalton. <laughs> yeah. Timothy Dalton. If, if you me. want a bit if you want it to be a bit funny, a bit silly, mm-hmm. a bit kind of old James, then I think Piers Brosnan <laughs> is possibly the way to go. Oh well, hang on, Dad. I think I think Roger Moore ticks the boxes for those qualities. Oh yeah, no, but Piers there are Brosnan, several who tick those boxes. Yeah, but what Piers Brosnan had, which um Moore didn't, is that Piers Brosnan did have a bit of a killer edge. Like he would he would like he he felt like he the reason why I love Pierce Brosnan so much is that he does straddle the fine line between super soldier killer and um, cheap late 90s stand-up comedian. 
and it's a time <laughs> like I, I really appreciate moments like i think it's in world is not enough where there's this massive dramatic opening sequence and just before falling off a cliff he grabs onto this big brass bell and his final words are huh saved by the bell and then there's, and then there's a big opening credits and i just and and, and uh I have big respect for that. I, yeah. I I really respect the screenwriters to going, this is an incredible action scene, but how do we undermine it in just one line? <laughs> <laughs> we'll put that in as a placemaker. We won't go with that one. We'll replace yeah. it with something I mean, isn't, isn't that the bit where he then follows that by kind of surfing down an avalanche as if that's not undermining it enough? <laughs> No, I mean, oh, the Brosnan films get... Re- like, Tomorrow Never Dies is, is probably the one I'm, I, I remember, like, almost wearing the vhs out of that that so good and i remember the the playstation video game as well where there was a cheat you could do to make bond uh 20 feet tall (laughs) and you're just striding across all the levels Uh, like that 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 was really good like i really enjoyed jonathan price in that film is oh he's so good it's elliot carver I, i mean timothy dalton was always my bond just because he just looks like he could just just explode at any point so intense the, the the strange thing is though is that no time to die actually references quite a lot actually the bond mm. which has since become quite a lot of people's favorites um on a majesty's secret service George yeah Lazenby. a lot of the music appears in it and it's and i don't really understood where that reference came from other than the fact that i think the reason why people um really like that film and, and it's gotten a lot more love over over the recent years is that it's sometimes referred to as the film that really gave bond um depth and some sort of sense of emotion that he was just a british super secret spy but they also like felt things and yeah. loved people mm. and um and so what's really interesting in no time to die and generally over all of daniel craig's like arc which essentially is is what it is now classed yeah. as from casino royale through to no time to die is like is a connective arc for this for this bond and i think what no time to die actually really does achieve even though it takes a bloody long time doing it is that it this is for me the first time that that there has been a bond who you feel has depth and actually has a character yeah and actually there are stakes and they do experience loss and killing doesn't come easy. And I and credit to David Craig. David Craig. <laughs> you mean Craig David. The name's David. Craig David. <laughs> credit to Daniel Craig for actually, you know, actually having the acting chops to pull it off. And he's, in interviews that I've heard with him, he's, 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 um, he's acknowledged in the past how he's really fought to rein Bond in from the success of Casino Royale up until now. And you can really see it on the screen that he's got a, a handle off who Bond is and the conflict within this character. And I think that was my overbiding like, impression of No Time to Die, that it, it, it felt like a, a movie with actual heart, which yeah. is not something you always come out of a Bond film. No, because I, I was really wary about seeing this because I... To be honest, like Bond was really cool when I was younger as a kid, like uh, because it's spy, it's action, you've got gadgets yeah. and all these incredible stunts. And you don't, I didn't really crave that emotional depth. As I've got older, you realize 
those uh, some of those earlier films in particular are extremely problematic and you realize yeah. particularly in the novels bond is really a massive prat he just yeah. is he's a, he's not a very nice person whatsoever and I, I it's really tricky going back and looking at those films because it's very difficult to root for somebody who is just an ass and mm-hmm. that's always going to be the perennial difficulty i think for anyone playing this role because really it's a character that is extremely dated and what i like about no time to die is it really leans into that idea is this actually the time in which we don't is this actually is there a world for bond really essentially this type of person and this is something the character kind of comes to terms with and i was pleasantly surprised by this film yes it's long um but there are some incredible set pieces here um as you would expect from a bond film um and but it it kind of goes in directions that i think are quite surprising and really interesting i think there's always that still that perennial difficulty where the more you bring bond out of his shell and give him texture and character the more the main villain pushes into the background and as great as rami malik is yeah um not a lot to do really not not given much to really to work with really it's 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 craig's film and the fact there's a big bad is kind of incidental really um this is more about him coming to terms with other things going on in his life uh really um and it it, 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 as you say sam is really the perfect denouement for this arc that has taken us from you know quantum through to specter to now really and it's one of those few films where certain characters you know certain bond girls in particular you know in this case dr madeline swan who was in the previous film is appears in this film and i could be wrong but i think the only time that ever happened was probably from dr no to from russia with love um where a, a bond girl appears fleetingly in both of those films really i can't think of any other incident really and it, it's it's no stranger that you get those echoes to on, on a majesty secret service because you know bond is developing you know bond has emotions he knows what it is to love yeah. and this isn't this is a character he's not keen to just um kind of leave by the wayside and cast aside as he has done so with many women really and that that's quite refreshing really um it's plodding at places but it's 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 it's, i think a fitting end i think to this saga well i I think the 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 whole thing with looking back to kind of her magic secret service i think that has been a touchstone for all of the daniel craig eightings if you look at it he's that the character has played has played with kind of love and loss you look at casino royale i mean quantum solace less said about that the better but very Mm. much so when you look at skyfall and specter it deals with those things deals with those ideas and i think what's really interesting and i do think i mean as much as you love Piers brosnan sam yeah his kind of his tenure as bond was took us to i think took us to a point where it was a case of something massive needs to change because this character has gone this character has gone stale either you do a complete reboot like they did or you do something crazy like all right then we're going to have a guest director each time who are going to throw their whole new vision on it so you can have a tarantino bond you can have this all these different stuff they went with the reboot idea which i mean as i say casino real i think is almost a the perfect action film almost i just i'm not a big fan of the ending um but what's really interesting with what they've done with it is more so than before they've given this five films this arc this constantly revisiting these ideas development throughout and storylines continue between films it continues directly from casino real to um quantum of solace it then picks up again not so much because quantum of solace 
kind of got forgotten about for probably mm-hmm. good. It's referenced a couple of times, like Spectre goes back to it um, a bit. Skyfall touches back on it a bit just to kind of incorporate it. Um, but it is really interesting that they've been able to do that. And it's going to be fascinating to see how they take the next step onwards. Now, when Daniel Craig leaves the role, um, whether or not they have a reboot again completely, do they kind of drop everything that's already in place? Um, do they just do what they've done before and kind of keep some of the characters? So obviously someone like Judy Dench continued from the Pierce Brosnan series into Daniel Craig, even though narratively they make no sense whatsoever. Um, do they do that again or do they just start afresh? And I think that's going to be something fascinating to see. I think more so than just who's going to be Bond, because I think everybody who you hear mentioned would be interesting. There are some that I think for me are more interesting than others. Um, but I think any of them would be good. It's just how are they going to actually treat the series? Because they can't go back to the Piers Brosnan days. The kind of that yeah. ship I think has sailed um, for for the better in my view. Um, but they have allowed themselves now to do much more interesting stuff with the idea of what James Bond is. I I think I think what they should do for the new Bond film is <laughs> bring back Piers Brosnan. <laughs> No, but they should they should get Danny Boyle to direct it, because I think that he left no time to die because he was wanting to do stuff that they didn't want to that was not for Daniel Craig in that in that time. I think they needed someone like Carrie to like tell the story that the that the broccoli the broccoli's wanted to tell. Um, but I could definitely see. A Danny Boyle-esque action movie kicking off a new era of Bond, like a really kinetic and fast and punchy, totally different to whatever we ever seen before. Style um, film to bring in like a much younger Bond, and I, I wonder whether it is going to feel more like a prequel series because at the moment there's there's such a great cast like Ben Whishaw is oh, so, so good, you and. Um, Naomi Harris, you know, Ray Fiennes, is is good. Like there's there's such a you know um, a money penny. Like it's such a good cast of like well established mm. characters. It all feels like it exists in the same world as Craig, and even more so when Judy Dench made the jump from Brosnan to Craig was okay, but it was kind of that was just one character. Everyone else went by the went by the wayside. Like there was a new queue, there was a new money. So yeah, but the Judy Dage character also felt so right within that dynamic yeah. as well. That that yeah. it fitted it fitted perfectly for what they were doing with the character that she that her performance would still be there. Absolutely. But now it feels like they've done such a good job of creating those characters, but it's in Craig's world that I think yeah. that unfortunately they will have to find they will have to recast. I, I can't you know I, I I don't know. I think I I think it's going to be such a different tone as well that those characters just won't seem right in a different tonally a different film. I I find it quite interesting as well that a lot the screenwriters Neil Purvis and Robert Wade they've been there since I think Goldeneye or Tomorrow Never Dies. It's the same screenwriters um, uh, yes. for for a long long period. So I think I'm not saying they've done a bad job, but what I'm saying is that I think for Bond to really be you know to refresh i think it just needs to refresh in all areas really across the board well, that was that was a thing that um danny boyle brought on the screenwriter of her train spotting as well so 
I think that was the other thing that maybe the producers didn't like about his vision, but maybe it does need a new a new writer like Danny Boyle was suggesting. Here, here we go. Here's my put my money where my mouth is that Danny Boyle will direct the new the next. And who will James be Bond? Who will be Bond? Christ. Yeah. It's not going to be Idris Elba, unfortunately, because that should have happened several years ago. And I don't think they'll cast another 50-plus actor to play Bond because then they're just going to run into this problem. Depends how long he wants. I mean, he he would be my choice just because I, I mean, I think he's absolutely fantastic and he ticks every single box. But as you say, you have to factor in then that you are casting an older Bond. I think that's more interesting. But it's not just it's not just an older Bond. It's also, I think they've told the story that they wanted to tell about an old Bond with Daniel Craig in terms of like yeah no that, that's what that's what I mean it is that that's yeah. a problematic because you're you're not you're continuing a similar journey but there are different stories you could tell with that yeah what about Roger Jean Page from Bridgerton no 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 I'm not I don't I'm not feeling that I don't like him that's fine he can what play I Bond, love then. about this period is you got the Bridgerton guy who's like appearing in suave adverts looking really cool and like getting out of fancy cars and whatever then you've got like Henry Golding who's appearing in Snake Eyes like trying to do like all like basically is like a little casting call and like I just I, I just think there is a sometimes there is deliberate attempt by agents to get like right yeah yeah Henry do Snake Eyes uh, G.I. Joe Origins because it'll be great <laughs> it'll be great to get you as the next Bond I, I, I mean it's, it's difficult because like you kind of feel as though Bond should be a, a, a big actor there's something about that role but I mean like no, at the time Daniel Craig wasn't like the megastar that he's now he was he was a big actor Tom Hardy no I think Tom Hardy would be great he's he's an obvious choice I think I know but... I mean you he's, he played Bond in Inception for me. That's hmm. I think, and I loved I loved his character in Inception. Actually, talking talking Nolan, it should definitely be um, a Christopher Nolan Bond. Bond. <laughs> I think Christopher Nolan should direct a Bond movie. Well, he's always wanted to. He's always wanted to, hasn't and he? John John David Washington would be yeah, incredible. He's, he's fantastic, but uh, but he might he's, be he's the one thing I enjoyed in that film. Yeah, but I mean, like. I think for a new Bond, it's got to be something that isn't just a carbon copy of everyone before, because there are different ways of playing suave. There's, you know, and he's also got to be at a, you know, to some degree, a bit of a prat because Bond is a bit of a prat, and it's well, to what degree? Chris, Chris, can I just say when you say prat, for me that immediately makes him sound like he's really clumsy and like <laughs> yeah, too fair say for me. That's what I say. I say t- I t- like yeah. I know that you mean like socially, he's a bit like out of touch with how he should treat women for example yeah kind of misogynist yeah but when you say Pratt yeah he's definitely like whoops tied my shoelaces together yeah. well I mean Whoa. I don't I mean oh, I wouldn't golly. want any I wouldn't want any of that misogynism there um, at all but what I mean is like in the sense that like he doesn't know how to he doesn't have a normal life um, you know what he does is not normalising whatsoever <laughs> what a Pratt like he's very brisk he's very kind of curt um, very to the point and I, I'm always interested, particularly in the Craig films, is just how incredibly lonely that is as a pursuit. It's not something that should be, oh, yeah, wow, cool, 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 what a jet-setting lifestyle you have. That Actually, there's real pathos there uh, in terms of that role. And what does it say about him as a person that this is their chosen profession, really? Okay, we've got... So just like Bond, you've got to use your incredible sleuthing skills to work out what 
the one, two, three, three last things that you can do according to Radio 4 with the extra hour that you get when Britain goes from GMT to BST. I think in America they change hours as well, don't they? But different. Well, it's different complicated time. there because it depends on what side of America you're on, doesn't it, as well? And mm. um, is one of them spend an hour writing this list? <laughs> there is some writing involved. Yeah, so writing a list of goals, perhaps, for the year. I know that's usually a New Year's Eve thing. Send some thank yous. Oh, keep an eye on your mailbox. Again, you know, a- appealing maybe to its audience here. Grab yourself a nice pack of notelets. <laughs> notelets. <laughs> you know that, Dan, that, that pack of notelets you've got, <laughs> that headed paper that you've got you've got that monogrammed paper already don't you dan so it's just it's just easy to say oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously. thank you chris for being you all right it says one one no two left two left i'm gonna go with gardening hmm interesting it's not on there there is something that's kind of some that some people call mental gardening meditating yes well done well done dan be mindful for an hour I thought mental gardening was like pouring water into your ears. <laughs> Trimming your nose hair. <laughs> Shoving some soil up your nose. <laughs> right, Chris, can you get the last one? The last thing that you should do with your extra hour um, this weekend. It's already passed if you're listening to this. Well, uh, if, for- I give, if I can give you a clue, think about when the, think about when the time shift happens and how you may use that time to make the following morning better um modify your heat your, the, the timer for your central heating so <laughs> when you wake up the next day um make that time better um, so you'd so the time changes ooh. around midnight so what would you do around midnight to make the morning better yeah so chris think about your morning in particular what's first thing on your mind breakfast so <laughs> i would i would slow i would make something like overnight oats or like put something in a slow cooker maybe so when i wake up the next day <clears throat> yeah so the option there. here is cook a breakfast bonanza oh yeah um is there any other kind <laughs> stock up on ingredients the day before and then knock yourself up a breakfast of champions and this sounds slightly threatening heston eat your heart out <laughs> he would do that wouldn't he <laughs> Um, I, I know it's been a bit of a movie bonanza, um, but I don't think that should <laughs> that should um, um, skew focus away from the wonderful thing that is enjoying someone else's company whilst playing a board game. I've only got something really, really sort of uh, light to share because I've really not been playing that that much of late, which is one of the reasons I'm looking forward to actually Halloween so much. And maybe that's what I should use my extra hour for, um, because at Halloween it is a tradition that we have uh, a spooky games night. I don't know how many years we've been doing it for now. I'd say three or four years, maybe. Three or four years, Spooky Games Night, Mysterium. Hang on, when, when, when was No Time to Die announced first? Uh, <laughs> yeah, about three or four years, um, I'd say. Yeah, three or four years. So we get like Mysterium, Whitehall, um, uh, or Whitechapel. I can never remember the title. Betrayal from the um, House on Haunted Hill. Betrayal at House on Hill. We always spend a, a... So I'm really looking forward to that because it's like you know, a really nice chance just to get down and get a game to the table, which I have not done in 
feels like months, but I think it might only be weeks. But one of the last games I did actually get to the table is, and it was actually with you, Chris. It was indeed. And it was Little Factory, um, which um, I've done an unboxing for on our IM, on our Instagram TV channel, which you can see for um, yourself, what it looks like. And yeah, it's it's a really it's a really nice sort of it's just a really nice game. I was really glad that like of like having some time spare is really rare at the moment. So I was really glad I kind of picked this off the shelf to to play um, because it it's one of those games that was relatively simple to to learn and um, but just had a lovely amount of of crunch to it and actually lasted a lot longer than I than I thought it was like you look at the game and you look at the components which is essentially just a deck of cards and think right we'll just whack this out in 20 minutes but we must have been playing for a good like 30 40 minutes I think yeah um essentially if you played um something like oh my goods before yes definitely I don't know if you play that game Dan there's a, there's a lot of sort of um sort of connective tissue between the two games essentially what you're doing is trying to build a little community um, of buildings, which allows you to. Oh, I know, I know. It's like Everdale. I was about to say. It's a, yeah, it's a bit like Everdale, but as mm. a board game. So you um, basically have these cards set out in front of you, and they're set up in these in these rows, and you have these like level one cards, level two cards, level three cards, and then these buildings. And the level one cards are like the things in Everdale. They're like your clay, your wood, um, your cotton some basic sort of utensils that you use and then you use those items to then for example if you've got a couple of cards which both have wood on them you can then trade those in to make a barrel and then you can sell that barrel to make some money and then use that money to make um to buy a level three card something that's further up the up the chain and then you could sell that to then buy a building or you could you know get a cow and it's got this wonderful little mechanic where you can get a cow and then you can just show your opponent that you've got a cow and then you can just take the milk <laughs> from the centre of the table, which I really liked. Or you could kill the cow, discard the card and get meat. And the game revolves around, a bit like Everdale, which we spoke about on a previous podcast, the game revolves around essentially looking at these like resources that you have and turning them into bigger and better things in terms which will then in turn allow you to buy bigger and better things and build buildings which get you victory points and it's the first person to get 10 of these victory points wins the game and there is such a i think oh my goods is great at doing this kind of thing but it's a bit more imposing in terms of the cards are doing a lot more of the legwork in terms of their iconography. Would you agree, Chris? Yes, that... um, it's one of its charms, really. It, there's so much game in a single deck of cards, and it's it's, it's because each of the cards mm -hmm. has multiple uh, multiple functions depending on how they're arranged on the table, really. So that that can feel quite busy. Whereas actually looking at the cards in this particular game, it's very clean, bright bold colors. Uh, yeah. There's almost a kind of an, a sushi go aesthetic to it, really. That is very bright and colourful, very much like Everdale, which we've just spoke about, and that alone just makes it so clear that I can kind of track the kind of the little mini tech trees there 
that I need to follow really to afford what I need to afford to upgrade to what I need to upgrade and there's always something for you to do there's never a moment where you can't do something which is also really good mm-hmm. because you know in instances in oh my goods just because of the luck of the draw when you open the market you may not be able to do anything that go whereas in this game you can always do something yeah and and I think that that iconography like sells it I think you said when we played it and, and also when my wife when I played it with my wife um, like if it wasn't if the art on the cards wasn't as good as it is it wouldn't be as an enjoyable game which I know sounds bonkers but because you're just like spending all your time with this artwork then it needs to be good and yeah. it needs to kind of sell the idea that you're that you're building this town and and you are part of this like iconography and again that's what Everdale does really well is that like the actual there is not that much there's not that much to the game, but the world itself looks good and looks engaging that you do want to log in every day because, you know, it does, it is like a fun, nice, gentle world to inhabit. And Little Factory does do the same. It definitely feels like a game where I am introducing something to someone. Or maybe if I'm playing with someone who's slightly younger, like a young family or whatever, then this is definitely a game that I'd be, that I'd be bringing to the table because the artwork is that engaging and that... Um, imaginative and the mechanics are easy to explain but also quite easy to understand logically like of course two bits of wood would turn into a barrel and of course a cow would produce milk or you can kill it and make and make beef or whatever so it has a really lovely um way of being able to introduce itself to lots of different people i feel like if board games is your main main big sort of hobby hobby i, I don't know if this is for you but if you're the kind of um, family uh, or person who is pretty happy with their copy of Sushi Go and like that's it, then you know Little Factory is um, you know you can get it for about fifteen quid I think, mm. and it comes in this relatively small box, and I think it definitely has a lot there to for that for that kind of board gamer to enjoy. And a perfect thing to do with an hour to spare. An hour you could play it maybe twice. Yeah. No, you could you could set it up. Yeah. Explain the rules and play it with, within an hour. With the best of Queen on in the background. Yes. Yes. Uh, as long as you write a notelet saying thank you staying in for introducing this game to us. And do all of end. this whilst in the bath. Yep. Yes. Sorry. And there'll be space on your table for your breakfast bonanza. <laughs> that was staying in with me, Daniel Frost, Sam Turner, and of course, Chris Darby. Uh, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, hope we were able to give you lots of ideas of what to do with your extra hour, including this episode. This episode will be exactly bang on one hour, so that can be your 15th thing to do uh, every time this year rolls around. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do. We have lots of places you can do that, so you can always head over to our website, www.stayinginpodcast.com. Dot com. Uh, you can leave us messages there or drop us an email on stayinginpod at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions that you'd like us to answer, any questions just for us, that'd be fantastic. Any recommendations? We always love to hear what you're playing as well. So please do send those in. We'd love to hear what you're playing so we can play as well and we can have a look and maybe talk about it on the show going forward. If you're down with that social media life as the kids apparently don't say uh you can contact us on instagram on facebook on twitter if you go to instagram i'm told i'm reassured i'm promised by chris that he will try the uh, jacobs crackers uh three in a minute i think we decided it was um so he's promised he will try that so that i 
do think will be worth the entrance fee alone. Um, yeah, you can contact us on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, we're on YouTube. You can watch all episodes on YouTube. We have curated lists on Spotify, would you believe it? As well as Steam and Board Game Geek. Um, if you'd like to get involved in any other way, just get in touch with us and we'd love to hear from you. So from me, from now... I'd love to say goodbye. Actually, I've got 10 more seconds. In order to make this an hour-long episode, I've got 10 more seconds. So uh, thank you for listening. I'm just waffling a little bit now. Five, four, three, two, one. Goodbye. Thanks. <laughs>